once again to the Chapter 49 podcast. Today is May 25th, 2022, and uh, it's always good to have you with us on the Chapter 49 podcast. We appreciate every single person that chooses to listen or watch on video this podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, uh, take a link and, and share it with somebody else. Uh, you can find our podcasts a couple of different ways. One, you can get the audio podcast on just about any platform. Just search under Podcast by Larry Lannan, L-A-N-N-A-N, and you'll see all my podcasts. I produce a number of them, but the Chapter 49 podcast will always be a part of that. You can find them there. Uh, second thing, uh, you can check the video podcasts, and by all you have to do to, to find them, go to youtube.com and uh, search for Duncan Giles. You'll see on his video list all of the Chapter 49 podcasts going going back, I think, as far as late July of last year. And almost every week we're here with a, a new podcast. And you can subscribe to Duncan's uh, Giles video feed of our Chapter 49 podcast. You'll be able to take a look at your YouTube video feed, and you can see them every week as we do update uh, our podcast. Speaking of being up-to-date, we have Duncan Giles, a man that's always up-to-date, always knows what's going on. And once again, (laughs) welcome. Well, you do. Why do you laugh at that? (laughs) I wish I knew what was going on. Sometimes I just wonder what's going on inside the heads of some people in 11-11. But, you know, that's just normal. Well, I wasn't asking you to do like a like mind reading, although sometimes being a chapter president, uh, that would be quite useful to you. Yes, it would. Well, I'm going to tell you, we have several subjects to talk about today. Uh, we're going into a uh, Memorial Day holiday weekend. We're recording a little bit earlier this week uh, for, for the schedule for Duncan and I. But uh, I just want to say we haven't quite gotten to that agenda item yet, but I just want to warn people that uh, later on today in this podcast, we will be talking about your upcoming trophy for Mr. Universe. Yeah, I'd be waiting to see that awarded. I still don't think that one's coming. Well, we did last week. You said there might be a Mr. Universe or something else might happen. And guess what? Something did happen. (laughs) You're going to have to watch how you use that metaphor, Duncan. Yeah, but I still think it works pretty well for the circumstances. I still don't think I'm going to be named Mr. Universe anytime soon. Okay, just so you know. Well, we want to start off uh, with an issue that we've been talking about off and on. We haven't talked about it much in recent weeks because there hasn't been much to talk about. The vaccine mandate. Uh, The vaccine mandate was the topic of discussion for weeks and weeks in this podcast, weeks and weeks on this podcast, and all sorts of communication channels where people talk about federal employee issues. So what happened is we had some court rulings, and one court ruling that said vaccine mandate is not legal or constitutional. Then we had an appeals court decision that said, well, yeah, it is constitutional. Presidents can do this. That was a three-judge panel as part of an appeals court in New Orleans. Now the people who lost that appeals court decision have come back and said, well, we'd like the entire appeals court to rule on this. But here's the bottom line, Duncan. Nothing has changed. Everything is stuck in place, and I think that's the most important uh, thing everyone needs to know. 
Absolutely, Larry. Yeah, it's one of those things right now because of this, um, the group that had put the challenge in to the mandates, the asked, as you said, for the full panel of the appeals court in that district to hear them. So until they rule, it is status quo. And what that means is that there's no change. There's no mandate right now. There's no reasonable accommodation uh, being done for the mandate specific issue. So that's going to be just right now, nothing to basically talk about, even though we are talking about just to let people know there is no change to it. Now, of course, you know, COVID is still out there. If you choose to wear a mask, you absolutely can, you know, don't, don't worry about that sort of thing. But right now, if you have not been fully vaccinated or up-to-date vaccinated, there is no uh, punishment per se from the executive branch for not doing so at this moment in time. I think we might want to give people a, a bit of an historical perspective on this because uh, the way this came about is that uh, President Biden wanted people to be vaccinated when they returned to the office. Uh, and uh, there were people who said they were against that. We had loads of reasonable accommodation requests to exceptions to that. Uh, there, the IRS and other government agencies were gearing up to try to figure out how they were they were going to react to all these reasonable accommodation requests. There are going to be so many of them. How do you adjudicate them, decide them, deal with the appeals that would come if people don't get the decision they expect? So this really comes from uh, a presidential order on vaccination mandates for federal employees working in the workplace. Uh, and uh, will there be exceptions? And, you know, that, that was a reasonable accommodation uh, debate that was going on. And there were going to be judgments made on individual cases. And there were thousands of those. Those thousands of cases are still being held in abeyance. The vaccine mandate is being held in abeyance. And at the same time, at IRS offices throughout the country, people are beginning to return to work. And that will be fully implemented by the end of June. So... I think we need to just kind of put things into perspective. Uh, there's a lot going on here, and I'm sure the appeals court is quite aware of the fact that IRS and other agencies are bringing employees back into the office where most or all employees were working remotely for almost two years. Exactly, and I do want to make a little bit of differentiation between the reasonable accommodation process to not be vaccinated and the reasonable accommodation that I believe a lot of folks across the country are trying to do so they won't have to come into the office at all to be able to basically work as home as their POD. Those are two separate issues. Uh, as far as I know, the uh, folks that take care of this at EDI, our um, division that looks at these types of issues, are taking a look at these reasonable accommodations uh, for folks who say they cannot come into the office twice a pay period, even if they are allowed uh, the full amount of telework that they can get. So those are still being worked. So when you hear us say that, you know, right now they're not working on reasonable accommodation requests, those are strictly for the vaccine mandate. Anything else should still be moving forward. Correct. Um, correct. Because that's, that's the vaccine mandate. That's what relates directly to the court case, correct? Exactly. Exactly so. So we just want to make sure that 
that folks know the difference there. Yeah, there is a difference. This is what we, you know, Duncan. You and I have spent most of our IRS careers, even though I've been retired for almost well, yeah, almost ten years. Uh, even in my uh, retirement and then before then working for the service, seems like splitting hairs is what we spent most of our time doing. Am I wrong? No, you are absolutely correct. That's why I'm laughing. Yeah, the IRS is is nothing if trying not to figure out how many angels can dance on the head of a pin and making sure that's well documented. Otherwise, we're disallowing it. I was trying to think. Um, good, good. I'm sorry, Jerkin. Go ahead. Yeah, it's it's just one of those things where we just want to make sure that we're, we're uh, parsing our words correctly and phrases correctly to make sure everybody gets the best information possible. Because I was thinking about the jobs I had. I mean, I had a lot of different jobs at IRS. Most of the time as an employee, I worked as a tax law specialist. We were splitting hairs there on tax law. Then I, you know, been, my work as a union steward and a union vice president, splitting hairs again in labor relations. And then I uh, retired, went to, to uh, do as a contractor, did some teaching for Indiana University uh, for uh, continuing education for tax professionals. Guess what? I'm splitting hairs again. I'm lucky I have any hair at all. Yeah, that's one of those things I do quite often as a chapter president, especially with managers or uh, labor relations folks who want to say that uh, this agreement means that or this national agreement section means that. And I'm like, you know, I'm doing the commercial. That's not what this means. That's not what any of this means. Um, so, yeah, very often we are splitting legal hairs to try and find the right definitions for everything. And we just want to make sure everybody's got a picture that's at least as clear as mud. Well, yeah, and, and as someone who nego- <laughs> as someone who was at the bargaining table for the national agreement, it is amazing how certain management officials who were never a part of the bargaining seem to know exactly what that wording means. Yep, they've read in a summary somewhere, and so they know what it means. They don't know the painstaking hours uh, that we went over each section, sometimes each sentence very particularly. Uh, you know, I have folks quite often now try and tell me about the customer service agreement from 2012 that's still in effect that are basically the rules for folks to work on the phones and tell me what that means. And I'm like, okay, if you weren't at that table, I'm not sure you know exactly what that means. And you can tell someone, okay, here's the reason we put a comma right there. I mean, that may sound silly to some people, but putting a comma in a sentence in a labor contract can make all the difference in the world. Absolutely. Okay, we won't go any further on that. That's enough. That's enough to scare anybody into getting into that kind of work. Um, okay, we're going to now get into why I made the Mr. Universe reference earlier. We had talked in our last podcast about the fact that several call centers, large call centers, were being taxed with uh, doing some paperwork for the service center uh, campus locations that are so far behind the, the drowning in paper. So you had mentioned there were four large call centers that were going to be processing 1040X forms that were filed. And I asked you whether Indianapolis might at some point be included on that. And you said, yes, that's possible. But it's also possible that I might be named Mr. Universe. In other words, the point you were making was not much chance of that. Well, we're only less than a week out from that podcast. Guess what? Indianapolis is in the mix. Tell us how this happened. 
Yeah, I think personally that uh, the powers that be listened to the podcast and and said, with that physique, we're ready to name him Mr. Universe. So let's go ahead and name Indianapolis. No, what had, what had happened was that the service had uh, hoped to get a certain number of volunteers to work from call sites to do the 1040X work, because as everybody in the service knows, we're just buried in paper. We are literally just buried in paper. 1040X is being chief among them. So they had gone out, solicited these uh, these four remote sites did uh, not get near enough volunteers as they figured they might. You know, they may have gotten between managers, leads, and CSRs, the folks who actually do the phone stuff. They may have gotten 60 plus percent of the volunteers that they thought they were going to get. So now they came back and said, okay, now we need more. We want to hit this number. So we're going to include Cleveland. Seattle and Indianapolis in this to give folks the opportunity to get a couple of weeks of training and work on uh, 1040Xs remotely to try and whittle some of this paper inventory down. And and I guess the question I would ask then is it kind of goes back to uh, an issue I brought up last time. The, the the people in Indianapolis who volunteer and do get this assignment are not going to have paper in their hands. They're going to have scanned documents they'll be looking at. And and do we have people uh, in the Indianapolis call center who have some experience doing the kind of adjustment work that you would need to have that knowledge to process, let's say, a 1040X? Very few. Uh, that's why the service is going to give like 10 days of training, uh, three or four days of OJI, and then boop, you, there you go. Uh, we do have some folks who we wanted to get involved in it, and these were folks in the first surge that we had to talk about, you know, okay, we're going to take you from the job that you've had and put you back on the phones. We wanted and we've pushed for continually these folks to be able to do things like this 1040X project and unfortunately, the service has said, based on our legal rights to assign the work, we are not going to allow those folks who we've drafted to do phone work into being able to do the uh, 1040X work. And it just it boggles my mind and it infuriates a lot of the people who've been drafted to do the search. And I totally get that. I totally understand it. Uh, because they could probably do that work a lot faster and a lot quicker with less training than the ones they're going to have to train in the four call sites that have already been tapped and now Seattle, Cleveland, and Indianapolis. But the service has that legal right to assign the work, and that's they've made that decision for whatever reason. So do you have any feel, let's just stay with Indianapolis for a moment, since that's where we uh, have our, our members in Chapter 49. Do you do you suspect there'll be enough volunteers, or have you any feel for that yet at all? Don't have a feel for it yet. I do believe, because history has shown us that a lot of phone folks would like to do some paper inventory. Um, for people who aren't on the phone who view and listen to this podcast, it's an extremely, it's always been an extremely tough job to be on the phones. It's tougher now because there are so few people doing it that to the taxpayers are pretty irate by the time that they get to somebody. So the chance to do some paper inventory to perhaps get a mental break, so to speak, might be a welcome um, 
thing for a lot of employees. It surprised me they didn't get more volunteers from the four call sites that they had picked at first, but I'm glad they opened it up to the other three and hopefully we'll get uh, enough folks to do this that'll start uh, be beneficial for the employees, be beneficial for the service, and most of all be beneficial for the taxpayers in trying to get some of that inventory down. The downside, of course, is it's going to reduce uh, the ability to answer phone calls even further, unfortunately. But that's it's robbing Peter to pay Paul. Yeah, I'm going to get to that in a moment. Before I do that, let me ask you this question. Uh, so if someone volunteers to process uh, 1040X forms at any of these three call centers that have been added, including Indianapolis, will that have any impact, good or bad, on their ability to choose working uh, telework? Will this have any impact either way on that? No, it should not have any uh, change in that. Um, if they are working overtime on the phones and they want to continue doing that, as long as it doesn't impact their uh, tour of duty with the phones, with the uh, 1040X schedules, they should be fine. And once they're trained up, they'll also have the opportunity to, instead of working overtime on the phones, to work overtime to uh, work these 1040X uh, issues down. Do you think alternative work schedules are a possibility here, or have you? Is there any any talk about that either way? They're not going to. Uh, basically, the IRS is not going to change any schedules. They're looking at this through the end of the fiscal year. Will it? Uh, with the possibility that it could go further. Hopefully, it won't. But uh, the IRS is not keen on changing anybody's schedule, tour of duty, uh, opening up more. Um, alternative work schedules, anything of that nature. They, they basically are freezing all of that. So I don't anticipate, you know, that changing at all. So what, one thing you already mentioned, we call it level of service within the IRS. Uh, what that means is what's, what are the chances you will get a human being on a telephone that can answer your question? That's what level of service really means. And I think that uh, the serv IRS has already said that level of service will be reduced by something like 15% in order to do this paper inventory. So I worry that the people who do stay on the phones are going to once again get angrier uh, members of the public on that telephone who had to wait forever and maybe get bounced around because they can't find somebody to answer the specific question they have. That can happen sometimes. So um, that's all something that needs to be considered here. Yeah, the, the level of service was uh, projected to be at 19%. They figured if they got these volunteers, it'd go to 17%. How much it will change by switching up and adding three more call sites, even though you don't have as many from the four call sites that originally were picked to do it. How much further that will go down, if any, I'm not sure. But even if it goes down, even if it doesn't go down any further, still going from 19 to 17 is not good. And if it goes down even further than 17%, um, it's just something that is just awful. And and I do want to give the service credit where it's due. I'm, I'm one that will knock the service when it deserves it. The service is trying to hire, whether it's call sites, whether it's service centers, they are trying to hire and they are doing their best. Now, where I will put the knock on them is their retention of the folks that they've hired in the past two fiscal years, and especially this past fiscal year, has been horrendous. 
the retention is just not good. And that is a huge part of this issue that the IRS has got to come to grips with. How do we keep these folks once we get them in the doors? And so until we solve that problem, I don't know if we're ever going to get to the level where we need to be on the phones, in the service centers, you know, folks all the way up to folks in LB&I doing the major corporations, much less the folks in SBSE who are doing, you know, tax audits of, you know, 1040 uh, folks or partnerships or whoever it is, or the folks to go out and collect the money as revenue officers. Until we're able to get that retention problem fixed, we're going to have a severe issue in trying to do all those jobs and every other one. Well, you and I talked extensively in last podcast about that, a particular case study in Chicago that was troubling. And and here's the thing. Having been a former manager, I can tell you this. That retention issue can be addressed. I mean, you can't address how much money you're paying people or the benefit package, that's pretty much set in stone as a federal employee. What the service can do is make it a better experience for the new hires. And I hope, cross my fingers, that somebody at your favorite address, 1111 Constitution Avenue in Washington, D.C., the IRS headquarters, that somebody or some group of people there beginning to grasp the fact that they have to find a better way to make new hires get a better experience. And if they don't, there's going to be huge wasted resources, you know, with people leaving and having to start scratch from scratch and bring people in again. You always hope something might happen there. Yeah, that's one of those things that I think they're using their tried and true methods to do this, and it doesn't work. And I'm a huge person on every team I've ever been on to talk about thinking outside the box. And this is going to require outside-the-box thinking to get this taken care of to retain not only the folks who are coming in new, but the folks who've been here a few years, folks who've been here 10 years, folks who are retirement eligible. You need to think outside the box on what can be done to help those people stay here so we can get the job done for the taxpayers. And speaking of new hires, new hires obviously have questions often for their managers that need to be addressed. We know the managers have been piled up with all kinds of work uh, not related to dealing with their new hires. So IRS has come up with a new solution. Tell us about what solution they've come up with. Yeah, instead of talking to all the managers, of course, there are a lot of questions surrounding return to office, whether it's about cleaning supplies, how often do I have to come in, how safe it is, everything. So instead, the service, instead of, you know, talking to their managers, training them extensively, giving them the information so they can talk to their employees about it, the IRS has created a chat bot, an automated thing that will basically, you'll be able to ask your questions and it will answer in a perfectly personable manner, I'm sure. It's just, sorry. it's <laughs> ludicrous to me that instead of, ta- instead of talking to their managers and giving them the information that they need so they can create better inclusion, better communication with their teams. It's like, oh, no, go talk to the chat box because I don't have any more information than you do. And that's the wrong way to run this. Well, I mean, I'm sorry. When I was a manager, yeah, I had a lot of work to do. Yes, they piled all kinds of crazy responses on me. And it was hard to manage all that. 
But my priority always was, if I had an employee with a question, I either answered it or I pointed them into a place where they can get the answer. And it wasn't a chat bot. A chat bot <laughs> is an automated response. I mean, I'm trying to think, is there even a private sector example I could give somebody of a chat bot so they know what we're talking about? I don't think there is. Um, if you are... If you're contacting a company a lot of times or looking for a vehicle, a lot of times they'll have chat bots that'll give you automated responses based on, you know, what the computer algorithm comes up with. So, you know, that may be fine for some of those types of situations. For a personal touch, for folks who are coming back, especially with a lot of folks who have social anxiety about returning to an office and a mass number of people, at the end of a pandemic, that doesn't necessarily seem to be the end of the pandemic. It's it's just very curious to me. I'll clean that up and just say it's very curious to me. Well, I mean, it goes back to what you were saying. IRS is trying to figure out answers, but you know, some of them are a little goofy. This one's a little goofy, in my view. And I really, most of the managers I knew would never tell their people to use a chatbot, even if it was there, you know, I wouldn't direct people to it, but it's going on. And I assume that, uh, people are, is it, is it already live or is this something? Coming? It is. No, it is live and it's out there and they've, they've advertised it. And again, there's thinking outside the box and then there's thinking outside the box that should have been destroyed in the box and then buried. And I think this is one of those, it's a penny-wise, pound-foolish type thing to me. It's, yeah, it may solve some of your issues with answering questions for employees. It may, for some of them. But it's not, you know, not giving your managers all the information they need to answer these questions is just beyond my comprehension. But I think a manager can say, well, I don't know the answer to that question, but we put a ticket in here or do this or check with this. In other words, or I'll check with this person. You know, I mean, it, there's always a way to get the answer. But a chat bot is not the because you don't know what that chat bot's <laughs> going to come up with. So exactly, that, I'm just waiting for somebody to get a chat bot answer, follow it, and then get written up for it. I'm perfectly um, aware that's a possibility, and if it is, that's that's going to be a fun case to adjudicate for whoever has to play with it. Let's see if the management wants that to go to an arbitrator. I, my guess would be <laughs> let's settle the case. <laughs> That's just my wild guess. Okay, Duncan, we're about uh, out of time. Final comment time. Uh, yeah, I've got uh, two quick ones. The first one is, you know, for folks who want to go into management or who are managers, you know, learn, make sure that you learn how to communicate and empathize with your employees. I see far too many cases where employers still are, and IRS in particular, are still hiring people for their technical skills, not for their people skills. And that can be a killer. That goes back to the chat box discussion. You want to have communication. So, you know, there's communication tools out there. Please avail yourselves of them if you are in a leadership position and don't know how to communicate uh, properly with your group or are not sure how to. The second thing, we've got the Memorial Day com uh, holiday coming up, and I just want to say that I hope that um, everyone takes a moment to remember the sacrifices of all those uh, brave soldiers, sailors, 
uh, airmen, et cetera, who, uh, Marines who have laid down their lives so that we can have the freedom to have difference of opinion and be in this great country. You know, that's my comment as well. You know, I've always felt that Memorial Day is a very special holiday. And, and I always urge people, wherever you live, there's always a Memorial Day celebration observance. I wouldn't call it a celebration as much as an observance. And, and, and just go to it. And the reason I say that is because the families of those who have lost people in war and in the armed forces of the United States, they tend to come to these, uh, these events. And I, if you see a lot of other people there who care, I think it means a lot to the families who have lost loved ones uh, in wartime and, and uh, have served in the armed forces and paid that ultimate price. So I do think it's uh, it's an important gesture to just show up, you know, just say, hey, I, you know, we care about you and your family. We care about the person who is no longer with us because of the service. So Memorial Day, a very special holiday. Uh, I live in Fishers, Indiana. I haven't missed one of those uh, celebrations for a long I guess, again, celebration may not be the right word. Observance. It's a very spe- I call it a celebration because it's, uh, it's such an important ceremony that we held. We always hold here in Fishers, and we're not alone. There are many places around the country that have done this, continue to do this. And Fishers, we have grown the crowd every year. Every year I go to this Memorial Day uh, event, we have more people there than the, the year before. So I think that says a lot about uh, how people want to remember those who were gone. Memorial Day is a very important holiday. People uh, in central Indiana think of it as Indianapolis 500 weekend, and it certainly is that, but it is more than that. It, uh, this, it's traditionally Memorial Day weekend. Of course, the race was held on Memorial Day for years until uh, it was uh, made a Monday holiday, and then the Sunday now is, is uh, has been the recent tradition for, for race day. So you going to the race this year, Duncan? Uh, not going to the race, uh, hoping to listen to it and we're hoping for good weather and that everyone, uh, enjoys it. If you, if you're coming to Indianapolis, enjoy yourself. It's a heck of a great time. Yeah. You get to party with a few of your close friends, like 400,000 or so of them at one place. There's really <laughs> nothing quite like, I, I've tried to explain what it's like to be at the Indianapolis 500 and there's just, an, I mean, if you're watching on TV, that's fine, but there is no way you get what race day is like on TV. You get some of it, but unless you're actually there, it's very hard to explain to anyone else. So uh, let me just once again, thank Duncan Giles for joining us again today. Always great to have you. And if all goes well, we will return next week with another edition of the chapter 49 podcast. You know, who knows what will happen in yet another week. You know, every week seems to be filled with some kind of news Duncan and I have never had a shortage of things to talk about on this podcast. I want to talk a moment about all of you who watch and listen. We've just finished our two-year anniversary recently of this podcast. We added the video a little less than a year ago, and both of these uh, platforms are growing. We have more and more people watching. Why they want to see my face, I have no idea, but there are actually people watching our video in more and more numbers, and And we continue to see growth uh, on the audio podcast. There is an interest, and that's why Duncan and I, that's why I donate my time, and why Duncan takes his time out of his duties to do this. So once again, thank you very much for watching and listening. Be safe. Be kind.